You ever run into someone who tells you that he uh, doesn't go to church because it's uh, full of hypocrites? Has anybody ever heard that? Sure. <laughs> i tell you what, you can reply back to him. Don't let that stop you. We can always take one more. <laughs> a Christian isn't someone who claims to be better than everyone else, but he's actually one who is willing to admit that he is a sinner. And he needs a Savior. Some people might say, uh, as soon as I get myself better, then I'll become a Christian or I'll come to church. Uh, that's like saying, well, as soon as I get well, I'm going to go to the doctor. <laughs> Same difference. If someone told you that, you might say, yeah, you need a doctor, all right. That would be maybe a shrink. <laughs> anyway, uh, people think they have to clean their life up get all their bad habits gone before they uh, meet with God's people. And that's just crazy, isn't it? It's backwards. Totally different. This is the hospital. This is the hospital for sinners. The saints who are sinners. We have a hospital. And uh, it's one of the most wide, mistaken ideas inside and outside the church that Christianity is for good people. And actually, Christianity is for bad people who realize they cannot approach a holy God because He is holy and they cannot come on their own merits. They can't come there at all on their own merits. That's the type of person that we're going to see today in uh, this section in Luke 5. Um, Many non-Christians may even think that Christians are good people. They've got it all together. Now, I don't really think most of them think that way, but uh, some of them think, hey, you know, I really have really bad problems. And, you know, those people can't relate to anything that I've gone through in my life and what I've done. And all us smiling, happy-go-lucky churchgoers just wouldn't understand my situation. They think that, uh, and I think it's definitely mistakenly, that uh, Christianity is for good people. Um, and they're excluded because it's just for good people. Jesus came into opposition because He went to the good people also, or they came to Him, really is what it was, the good people, the religious people, and they were in opposition to Him. They constantly are throughout the Gospels. And in the story of the calling of Levi, that's where we're at today, Luke is going to teach us a real important vital lesson. Jesus did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. So this is so crucial. If you don't understand this, actually, you're not a Christian. If you don't understand that, because that's the most basic idea of Christianity. If you think that Jesus saves basically pretty good moral church-going people you don't understand the heart of the Gospel. Because you have to see your need and that you're a sinner and you come with hands wide open because you have nothing to offer the Son. You hear this criticism a lot. Well, the church certainly isn't filled with perfect people. And we certainly will say, you're absolutely right. We are not perfect and that's why we're here. (laughs) That's why we're here. It's not a club for the righteous 
but it's a hospital for sinners, the sin sick. And I will tell you something, the more that you grow in Christ and the more that you mature, the more that you will find that you need this hospital with the physician Jesus Christ because you see your sin even more than you ever did before. Even when you're becoming mature in Christ. You start seeing the truths of Scripture and you see the great grace and love of God and you see the wretchedness of your own heart. That old person that you were. And you become distressed about your sinfulness. If you ever read the Puritans, you will see that constantly. It's not that they were downtrodden, just constantly thinking negative things, but whenever they got their ideas of who God was, they would see their sinfulness, but then they would see the grace of God, and then the sun would come out. <laughs> like you see the storms here. Boy, those storms are good though, aren't they? We needed that. And then the sun comes out, get a little breather, and then we get some more rain. The more mature a congregation is, the more that congregation recognizes their sinfulness. We still battle with it. Levi was a tax collector. He represents sinners. He actually represents who we were. He has no chance at all at the kingdom being a lifestyle that he had, what he did. Yet Jesus comes to an unworthy sinner who knew he was not worthy, and he learns of Christ. Here's the call. The call is to repentance and to follow Christ. That's what we're going to look at today. Jesus saves sinners, not the righteous. Let's uh, turn to our scripture in Luke 5. Let's stand. And we'll start at verse 27 and we'll go through verse 32. After that, he went out, noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. He left everything behind, got up, began to follow him. Could stop right there. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat drink with the tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Thank you, Lord, for this message. You came to call the sinners to repentance, to follow You, and because of Your drawing power, we get up and follow You, and we no longer want that lifestyle. And that's what this story represents. Help us to see this message more and more in our own lives and how this works and seeing the great grace of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. On verse 27 and verse 28, those two verses right there uh, is Jesus calling sinners. He has the power. He has the grace. And it says here, after that, He went out. 
After that, he went out. After that is, you remember last week he healed the paralytic? You remember the four, four guys that let him down in that house? And it was packed with Pharisees and scribes, the, the religious leaders, and they were there really to condemn Jesus. That's what it was all about. And after he had done that, uh, it's not like their lives changed. You get that, right? You would think that would have done it, but these are the righteous people here. So it's no accident. And so this is what, what you look at when you go expository. If you don't do expository and go week to week, you'd probably miss this if you cut off last week and went on to something else. Because what you have here is right on the heels of healing the paralytic. Catch this now. All three of the synoptic Gospels. Synoptic uh, synonym. Right? Synonym means the same. Matthew, Mark, and Luke report a lot of the same miracles. They run along uh, parallel with each other pretty well. So they're very synoptic. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so what they do is they do the same order of events here, which sometimes is unusual. Luke is not usually chronological. He can be, but it doesn't have to be. And none of this has to be chronological, but it certainly helps, and most of the time it is. Well, this is chronological because both Matt, or all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, report the incident with the paralytic who was healed, and then after that, he went out. What he's doing, he's walking the road uh, along the Sea of Galilee. That's where he's at. He'd been in the house. Religious leaders are there. The man's sins are forgiven, and then he gets the miracle done where he just picks up his pallet and just walks right on out of there. And that's where we've been. And the reason for this chronological order is the contrast. Are you getting it? Here are the religious elite. Here are the, quote, righteous. They thought they were righteous. They don't follow Jesus. Jesus goes along and He sees Levi, the tax collector. And so what you have is a contrast of those who did not follow Christ versus the man who did follow Christ. And then you get the idea of who this man is. He's not one of the righteous people. Matter of fact, He represents the worst of the unrighteous, at least in the eyes of Israel and their leaders. Pharisees had been present, remember, so do you see this negative response that they had on the part of the scribes? And they reasoned in their hearts, you remember that? And uh, it's like, you know, who is this man? says He forgives sins, right? They're always reasoning in their minds. And no matter what they see and what they hear about Jesus, they have their own set mind and rules and how they perceive who Jesus is. But the positive response is right here, it's the sinful tax collector. And they would have called Him a sinner. He was the sinner. 
So we get into the idea here in verse 27. After that, he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi. So you get that. Even that first phrase is really important, isn't it? After that, he went out. He can't separate it from where he had been. So that really helps. And, and I really hadn't ever put it together until I was reading it this week. And I go, oh my, look where it's been after. And then the other Gospels are saying the same thing. And, he, and there's Levi sitting in the tax booth. Think the way the Jew thinks. Now, it's not too hard for us to do that too. Because <laughs> nobody here really likes to you know, pay taxes. It's tax time. You know? I mean, you don't enjoy that. You do it, but you know. But they really hated tax collectors. And this is a guy, the first guy that Jesus goes to after he healed a paralytic, after he forgave his sins. He's a representative of sinners. This guy represents us too, doesn't he? Now, the profession of a tax collector or publicans, right? It was known as ripping people off. And granted, you can identify with that, can't you? Being ripped off. You have laws made back and forth all the time, but these guys are crooks. They're they're known as crooks, tax collectors, working for the government of the Romans. Um, In the wording of the Jewish people, they were scums. Scumbags. They were dregs of all of Israel. They were lowest of the low. You get it? (laughs) There are lowly people and then there are the lowest. That's who they are. Now we've seen the picture of leprosy already, haven't we? And that was a real solid picture of what sin is like too. So it's like Jesus is drawing up different pictures to show how terrible of a position we are before we know Christ. I think He makes it very clear in here, doesn't He? Here in the Gospels. So Jesus can save the worst? Are you kidding me? Why would He go to the worst? Because that's what we are. (laughs) Paul said He was the what? The chief of sinners. I don't understand that. But if He's the chief of sinners, I'm the chiefest of all sinners. (laughs) Let's just go down to the lowest, right? Well, how did that tax system work? It's good to know a little bit of the culture at the time because it really helps. And the boy, you start seeing the way that they saw it, then we really get the message of what Jesus is doing here. The Roman government had all the countries like Israel being one underneath their wings. They gave them somewhat of a little bit of freedom and they would replace place governors over them. And, and of course you remember the Herods and you have Herod at this time, Herod Antipas. And so he would collect all the taxes and then give them to Rome. Jewish people knew that. Herod Antipas has people working for him to get those taxes. He would hire Jewish people in Israel to go collect the taxes. And it wasn't just anybody that would get that job. It would be the ones who had the highest bids to get that job of a tax collector. Whoever gets the highest bid, you get it. 
Once you get it, you get a lot of money then. So you kind of got to start with money anyway to be able to get it, but uh, it usually meant you were unscrupulous or... How about a crook? Let's just say that. That's really what they'd be. How about a lying, cheating, stealing, and abusive type person? That's what you would have to be to be a tax collector. To get this tax franchise, it was an awesome thing to have. What a job. Most people didn't want to do it. And you can understand why. You definitely would not have been loyal to uh, Israel, would you have? They would give money to the Gentiles. There would be a certain amount that you would have to collect. And whatever else that you collect over that is your money. So you just hike it up a little bit. Sometimes a lot. It was up to you what you wanted. But you definitely have to pay whatever is, is to be done with that certain amount. So they would give the money to the Gentiles. That's unthinkable. That's why the people hated it. They were under the Gentiles. They were under the Romans. And What is it about the Messiah that the people wanted? To come in and take care of things just like that. That's what they looked to as a Messiah. Someone who would come in and beat the Roman government and here the, the kingdom just rolls right in. That's what they looked for in the Messiah. Well, that's not why He came, was it? So there were fixed taxes, there were poll taxes, duties of all kinds that were done. It was just plain out larceny and thievery and extortion that these tax gatherers were due. It's just all kinds of things that they would do. And, uh, you know, if you couldn't pay your taxes, which a lot of people couldn't, these tax collectors were just so nice that they would become their loan agents. Well, they would charge maybe a 50% interest or more. You know, your credit cards, if you don't pay within the month, it goes up to like 20%, right? Something like that, 18%, 20%, 25%, even more. I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous, right? But they become your loan agents, and if you didn't pay, then they would send their thugs <laughs> to go break your legs. This sound kind of familiar? This is the mafia. <laughs> This is the mafia collecting your taxes and giving it to the Romans and then the rest they're keeping for themselves. You'll notice later on that he has a house. It's a big house. A big, big house. We can play football. <laughs> a lot of people, can. they came there. This guy, believe me, is loaded. Matthew or Levi here. Um... By the way, he's called Matthew. Later on we'll see in different places. He has a Jewish name and a Greek name. Uh, his Hebrew name is Levi. And that's what Luke is referring to right here. He say, Levi. Hmm. Okay, that's Matthew. Yeah. Matthew is the one who wrote the first gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke refers to him as Levi. Levi, huh. The Levites. Levitical. Uh, priestly. Hmm. And his family, like his mom and dad, are from, you know, it's like a Levitical name that they get. They must have high hopes for their son. What does he turn out to be? 
the worst of the worst. He's somebody that a lot of people wouldn't be proud of in the profession that they chose. Are you getting the idea of how bad these guys are? Uh, so anyway, he was named after one of the sons of Jacob. He also had a Greek name. It's mentioned in Matthew 9.9. His Greek name was Matthew, gift of God. Gift of God. It's his Greek name. Uh, who knows? Maybe that name was taken after his conversion. don't know. Um, I imagine when Levi was born, though, that there were different hopes for him. Perhaps he'd be a rabbi, maybe a Pharisee, you know, like the righteous people. Uh, so he goes astray somewhere along the line for the sake of money, became a tax collector. Now, you want to know what? If I were looking for a qualified person to follow me for the next three years, it would not be this man in that tax-collecting booth to follow me. Would you have chosen this guy? None of the other disciples, I don't think, would have chosen him. Matter of fact, the fishermen probably hate it because every time that they catch fish and they they walk by this guy, and he probably lived very close, Sea of Galilee, he's walking along that area. Do you get the idea? Capernaum, big area, people travel by all the time. He has his booth setting there. Fishermen probably knew about him. Who's that? Well, Peter, James, John. Andrew, right? They had to have known who this guy was. You think of some of these guys, you know, the rebels that Jesus picked up to follow Him are not the kind of guys that you would want to be setting up some kind of a a following and to do His ministry. You wouldn't have chosen Levi. I wouldn't have considered Levi. If you can find one sufficient reason for Jesus calling you, you haven't understood what it meant to be called. Because <laughs> there wasn't anything there. You were Levi. I was Levi. I'll tell you what, there must have been a lot of surprised people that day whenever Levi just said, I'm following. Jesus said, follow me. He got up out of the booth. Boom. And that was it. It was like, he started following. I mean, everything that's there, he just leaves. That's incredible. I'll tell you what, that's called efficacious. That's an efficacious calling. That's irresistible grace, isn't it? You can't turn that down if God is working in you. So, man, that idea of salvation is incredible. The crowd definitely had to be surprised when he just got up and left. They said, he's coming back, right? <laughs> if, he, if he's God, all right. Well, they'll just get somebody else in the booth. But the disciples who were following him already had to be surprised. And I tell you what, 
the most surprised person out of all this, I think, has to be who? Levi. <laughs> Levi gets the calling and he says, well, okay. And he goes. He's really surprised because, listen, that was his life. Pretty good life. Yeah, everybody hated you. Except the other bad guys. But, hey, listen, the guy's got a mansion. (laughs) He is unacceptable to people. As a Jewish man, Levi collected from the Jews on behalf of the Roman government, as we've already said. He grew rich by extorting money from his own people, even his relatives, his friends, his neighbors. As a result, he would be considered politically unacceptable, even though the Roman government accepts him to do that. He was religiously unacceptable. They were considered unclean. Pharisees classified them with unclean animals. In the ceremonial law, they would be that way, classified with Gentiles. They couldn't come into a synagogue. They'd desecrate the whole area, the whole building, contaminating everybody because of their sinfulness. So they weren't allowed in a synagogue, so they're religiously unacceptable. Politically unacceptable, religiously unacceptable. Orthodox Jews were forbidden to go on a journey with tax collectors. You don't travel with them. You're forbidden to do business with them outside of paying your taxes. You're forbidden to dine with them. See, these are the laws the Pharisee came up with. To dine with them. Well, that's coming up next, isn't it? Jesus is going to break all these rules. (laughs) Not the law of God, but the, the law that they had set up. Uh, they were forbidden to give testimony in a court of law because they were liars. (laughs) They're known as liars. The Talmud said you can lie and deceive a tax collector anytime you want. (laughs) Wow, you can lie? Is 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 that a good thing to lie? No. Not to God's law. Matter of fact, isn't that kind of dealing with the, the Ten Commandments a little bit? But they made their own law and said, well, you can lie, I'll tell you when you can do it. Now, I'll tell you what, there are a lot of cults that do the same thing. Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons. For the sake of your religion, you can you know, tell little white lies. And they're not really white, they're really black lies. <laughs> Whatever that looks like. Islam, same thing. Exactly. To the infidels, right? Yeah, you can lie to them too. So, Christianity never really has that. So, what are they? They're politically unacceptable. They're religiously unacceptable. They're socially unacceptable. They are just absolutely unacceptable. The worst of the kind. The worst of the worst. And this is where Jesus stops and says, Levi, follow me. Now, I won't elaborate on this too much because I don't know. It just says, follow me. And he left everything. I tend to think there were probably times that he had seen Levi before or Levi had seen him and heard his message. It doesn't say that. We don't even know that. Don't let me read into the text. 
forbid that. I don't want to do that. But I am putting the thought out, is it possible that maybe somehow Levi knew Jesus or knew of Him, knew His message, or Jesus had even spoken to Him? It's possible. I'm not going to tell you that that's what happened. But if you put two and two together, it's very possible that could be. And so now Levi hears, follow me, and boom, he goes. But I will tell you, there's an irresistible grace that God gives that people come out of a situation and you remember where you were at and you remember how low you were, don't you? You remember how much of a sinner you were and when you heard that call, maybe after like 50 or 100 times, or in some cases when you heard just as I am and you heard all 50 verses sung, you would just get up and just go down the aisle. Some did that because they wanted the, the service to stop. <laughs> Tired of it. I have heard that before. But just not kidding. Whatever. Um, but to get up and leave everything. I mean, this is incredible. Whether it was the first time or whether it was many times, the thing is that there is a time where it's irresistible and you can't help now to follow Christ. Whereas before it didn't make sense, but now it does. Did that ever happen to you? Well, if it did, it shows that you're a Christian. He called you, it's Him. You don't get up on your own out of your own smart, intelligent thinking Say, now I'm going to follow Christ. He puts that into you to do that. And of course, in our um, confession we read this morning, that was all part of that. There's His great grace, isn't it? Irresistible. His election. Well, going a little bit further, let's let's get into what what about this tax system? There are two kinds of tax gatherers. Two kinds. They're both bad. But when you see it in scripture here, you'll you'll identify there, there's the general tax collector. Now that's the uh, the regular taxes. That would be like land tax. It would be like a, a property tax. You know, we have that. High school taxes. Don't let me get on that. Hang on. Oh, man. Ground tax, crops and grains. Oh, you, you, do we identify what? Yeah, yeah, things haven't changed. Bridge taxes, letter taxes. You'd be carrying a, a letter and uh, the guy can say, hey, let me see what's in the letter. If, that, if there's something in that letter that can be taxed as far as uh, maybe owning certain property. There's market tax. There was axle taxes. Wheel taxes. Taxes on your carts. <laughs> oh, revenue. There we have one of those guys sitting right back there. <laughs> Just now thought of that. I better not laugh too hard. Whoa, okay. okay. I do the same thing. Um, I'm not in revenue, but I do collect myself. Matter of fact, that's what my job is. Ooh, okay, it's dealing with the fiscal aspect of the Department of Natural Resources. So we tax people because they own land or they own cars. Water runs off the cars, and that, therefore that's called stormwater. So if you own an auto salvage place, you will get charged because... Does that sound right, Zach? I don't know. 
anyway, you guys get the the deal here. The, you would be taxed on your animals. You get taxed to death. They'd open your packages, your private letters, look in there, all oh, the abuses that they could do and get away with it. It was unlimited. It went on and on and on. Levi was um, this kind of guy, the roadside, um, whenever he would get it on the, the axles and the road taxes, all the kind of taxes. He'd invent taxes. He, he was a roadside collector. There is the general tax collector, which I first started with. That, uh, I didn't mention it, but Zacchaeus would have been a general tax collector. Basically land, you know, fixed tax, that kind of thing, over all uh, the, the taxes, but uh, you have your roadside. This is the guy who has his little station, and as people go by, he uh, says, hey, it's got to stop. And uh, he would uh, tax them for whatever they had at the moment. These guys really are criminals, to be honest with you, with, with all that they were uh, able to do. That's how it worked. Uh, so are you getting the picture? This is the guy that Jesus chooses to go with him in his ministry. This is what the guy knew. So he gives a call to follow. In spite of all that we've talked about, now about these kind of tax collectors, whether they be general, and Jesus chose a general tax collector um, in Zacchaeus to be a, uh, a Christian, follower of Christ, you know, in that sense. A roadside collector, that's Levi. But in spite of all this, it's astonishing to see Jesus Knowing this calls Levi to be a disciple, an apostle. But that doesn't make any sense. Now, R. Kent Hughes, who does good commentaries, says, says it well like this. Jesus sought out the man no one else wanted. Jesus sought out you who no one wanted in the sense of salvation. Jesus initiates relationships with outcast. He was a social outcast. We were outcast. Outcast. Do you remember in the same chapter, the first few verses where it talked about Peter and remember where he had fished? All night didn't catch anything. And then Jesus tells him to go out into the deep, which is crazy. And the nets began to break. They had so many fish and their boats were beginning to sink. And Peter goes, this is not possible. Except this man is not just a man. And he says to Jesus, get away from me, I'm a sinner. That's what this is all portraying. Whether it be the, the, the fisherman, whether it be the leper, which was the next story, whether it be the paralytic, or whether it be the tax collector, he goes out after the worst. Doesn't he? You know, it actually got worse. It started with the fisherman. Okay, that's, that's pretty cool. They're okay guys, right? And, and, Boy, you see the leper. And, and so now, you know, the call to follow here is just incredible. 
He doesn't just merely forgive sinners. He hangs out with them. You know, socially unacceptable is what they were. That's what they were considered. The very characteristic of God's holiness here is actually seen in the sense even in His holiness, He reaches out in His mercy so we see another characteristic or nature of who He is. And He graciously takes this sinner who responds to Him. I think that's a work of transformation that only God can do. Is that right? Absolutely. Follow me. Luke, I think, definitely knew his sinfulness. I think he thought about it a lot as he ripped people off, added to their taxes. I think at that moment he became repentant. At the moment that you're called, irresistibly called, you follow. You become repentant. Because He came to call the sinners to repentance. That's what He does. That's a gift to be repenting. He recognized His sin. Before, it didn't really bother Him because He saw all the money and everything that He had of it. Now all of a sudden, he's got to be astonished that this Jesus, who's the one who's been healing people, you think he's been hearing about that? <laughs> no doubt. Jesus had made his headquarters in that area anyway. Everybody's heard about it. But I want to tell you, it's astonishing that Levi answers the call of Jesus. And what did he do? He left everything. Verse 28, He left everything behind. Got up, began to follow Him. I think that is amazing. Does that astonish you? That some, somebody would say, hey, at least, at least let me go back to my house, grab a couple of bags of gold, and I'll tell you what, that will help us finance the ministry. He didn't take any baggage with Him. He just gets up and he goes. Very wealthy. Quite wealthy tax collectors were. This case we know he is. And he follows this religious leader. Levi's response is total. He got up. He left everything. He followed it. It was instantaneous. It, I think it's an exemplary response. I think it is a perfect example of the response of one who is called. They respond to Jesus' call whenever the work of God is doing its thing in your life. To follow Him now is a priority to Levi. Not what he did before. It was wholehearted, wasn't it? It wasn't like halfway. He says, well, listen, I'm going to keep my business, but every time you're around Capernaum, I'm going to be around and kind of help you out there a little bit. Uh, no, you know, he didn't even try to talk to Jesus or, or, or reason about his finances. He just obeyed. He did it. The uh, problem that we deal with constantly is we still have baggage. We carry our baggage as we follow Christ. And uh, one bag after another is kind of left 
there. But but usually, you know, I mean, when we follow Him, we're willing to give up everything, aren't we? But we find out we really do have extra bags. Thing is, you you know about the runner in Hebrews. He has a lot of weight. Let this encumbrance just be left off, right? And you can run a lot better if those encumbrances are left. The dead weight that we have. So he did it immediately. He left everything. Finality there. This is an irreversible action. Don't you know he must have thought about this? Who knows? Maybe he had been thinking about it for quite a while. If following Jesus didn't work out, he's not going to have it like the fishermen. If it doesn't work out for them, because they can go back and go back to fishing again. This guy works for the Roman government and he just leaves. You know, he doesn't appoint somebody else to take his place. We don't see that. He just gets up, takes off with Jesus. Uh, I think we can be safe to say that he's not coming back. There is no way the Roman government is going to allow him to be a tax collector ever again. He doesn't have an option. You know, listen, I can always come back and do this job here, you know. That's the thing. It was an irreversible action. He abandoned his office. He followed Jesus. It was a definitive break. That's really what happens to a Christian when we follow Him. We have a defined break from our old life to the new. Now, we've already said that we are not perfect and we battle sin. We started that from the very top, right? But also, at salvation, we make a break from that old life. We are now new. We are now new people. He had a great business going, didn't he? Boy, he was raking it. You know, all he did was just sit around and take people's money. (laughs) What a deal! But he left all to follow Jesus. Now, there was a rich young ruler in another story. There's another rich man. It's interesting that he came to Jesus and he knew there was something missing in his life. He knew the Ten Commandments. And you know what? He followed all those Ten Commandments. I put, quote, because He is the righteous one. Quotes, right? He's the righteous one. And whenever Jesus said, okay, here's what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. It's it's different for everybody else, but take all that you have, sell it, give it to the poor. Because you see, what was His God? His God was money and everything He owned. He felt secure in all of that. And what was sad? He couldn't do it. because And Jesus was sad about that too, as we see the compassion. But as far as we know, we never see the man repent. He left away. And it wasn't like Matthew, Levi, who gave up all and followed Christ. Do you see the difference? The other guy knew all the religious stuff. And as far as he knew, he followed everything there. Do you think the tax collector did? No, he broke all the rules. 
The only thing is, so did this rich young ruler. He broke all the rules too. The only thing is, he couldn't see it because he was blinded by all the stuff that he had. So we see the differences between the ones who are righteous and the ones who recognize that they're not righteous. They are now set up for God's grace. It doesn't mean that that's going to happen, but whenever you get the call from Christ, it will happen. That was point number one. Promise it'll go by a lot quicker. But we gave up, or we gave, try to give a lot of cultural aspects there that kind of help the way that people would have seen this at the time. And we go into verse 29 now, and Levi gave a big reception for him and his house. There was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. He gives a big reception. This is huge. You have to have a huge house. People didn't have huge houses back then, but He does. You already know why He does. Jesus goes there. The man throws a big party. Jesus is the guest of honor. He followed Jesus. Then He said, Hey, won't you come to My place? Let's have a big meal. Let's feast. It was because He was joyous over the fact that He was a new man. He was released from everything that was holding him in bondage. And so this great big party, Jesus is going to go to. He's going to go to Levi's house. Well, word's going to get around. Jesus, you know, you know, maybe you shouldn't go there. An evangelistic dinner. And an evangelistic conversation is going to go on because Levi is going to invite his friends. Um, it said tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. And the Jewish law that wasn't in the Scriptures but is made up of the Pharisees, you don't ever dine you don't ever eat with the sinners, tax collectors, the, you know, those hypocrites, or the prostitutes, all bad people. You don't do that. That's what he's doing. Now, I'm not giving sanction that we're to go out and hang out with the drunks and drink with them and get drunk too. Now, Jesus was called a, a drunk by the righteous people. He was not. We know that. That's against God's law. He would not have done that. But he went to everybody. He all, all that he could go to was who? The sinners. And so what an opportunity. Do you think the Pharisees and the scribes are in this house eating along with these people? No. Now some would take that. See, the Pharisees and scribes are there at the table and, and they're saying hey to the disciples are speaking. No, they say this outside the house because they don't go into the house. They made the laws anyway about that, right? You don't eat with them. You don't associate with them in any manner or form. So they say, uh, they, they're grumbling at His disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? Now by the way, Saved souls want others to be saved. When you became a Christian, didn't you want your family saved? 
Didn't you want co-workers to be saved and other people? Do you still want people to be saved? Why is it? Because, hey, you know, it's just fun to be together. No, you want them saved because you realize the position they're in and you were in that same position and now you recognize that and guess what? You want them to have what you have. You want them to have eternal life. You don't want them to go in the same condition and in the same route that you were heading. And now you realize that and you want to bring them into the kingdom. These are riffraff. They are the scum, as the people would have thought. And only people like them would attend a party at Levi's house. That's really who you have. And then you have Jesus and the disciples. This is not the most socially acceptable group that you would ever want to see. Matter of fact, they are not. They are known as sinners. Jesus is notorious for hanging out with the sinners. You know, it's one thing to pass out tracts to people, but then to associate with them because you're going to give the gospel out or they have become saved. So that's what Jesus did. So the Pharisees, the scribes, began grumbling in verse 30, 31. Pharisees are separatists, they stand away from anything that seems to be unrighteous well that you know you have to give them a little bit on that there is an aspect of separatism where we don't join and do the same things that the people in the world are doing and we do the things that we know that pleases god so they're separating themselves from anything and everything and definitely these people you see that they don't believe in god's grace here do they they really believe in legalism they believe that you can save yourselves. Really, that's really what it comes down to. So, they go behind Jesus' back. They don't say anything to Jesus. But when they get an opportunity to say something to the disciples, grab a few of them over here and say, Hey, uh, I want to ask you something. They attack the disciples here. Um Sometimes whenever they go to Jesus and they ask questions, they really get things turned back on them. Jesus reverses it. Uh, you know, Satan does this today. He, he likes to get us alone. He wants to attack us. Starts trying to put some kind of doubt in us, you know. Jesus is sometimes a little bit too difficult of a target. So who does he go to? You. Me. Us. Church. Goes to the church. Seems like they're asking a legitimate question. Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? It's not that they're really looking for an answer here. They really have a rebuke, is the idea. Why on earth is Jesus doing that? You guys doing that? Why are you going into a house of sinners? How could you think of doing such a thing? Isn't, isn't Jesus a little more spiritual than this? Doesn't He know better than this? That's their idea. And so we get an answer from Jesus. Of course, they're not talking to Jesus directly. Scribes again grumbling at His disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So they're all sinners. Evidently, they're not. And Jesus answered and said to them, it is not those who are well who need a physician, 
but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. How often have we heard that? This goes up in big lights. I mean, you can't miss it. This is where everything was headed right here. And Jesus knew it. And this man, Levi, was picked out by God long before the foundations of the world. And Jesus went to sinners and called sinners out of the world to be His people. So here we have it. Jesus the physician in time and in space now making the call. He was predestined for this. He was pre-loved before this. But there is a time when it actually happens. The call comes. You say, yes. Because now the Holy Spirit has come into you and has opened your mind up to spiritual things. You now can understand this. So Jesus now uses an analogy of a doctor, a physician. The great physician as somewhere else we hear of him. Healthy people don't need a doctor, right? They don't make hospitals for healthy people. Uh, it's not like you got up this morning and said, ah, or, or yesterday morning and said, you know what, man, I feel great. I think I'll go to the ER today and have some fun there. Uh, by the way, I, I use that because there was an ER incident yesterday from one of our own that had to go to the ER. It's not like she really wanted to, but when you go to the ER, what has happened? There is some pain. There is something happening. There, there's something serious that's really working there, right? Ah, oh, you know, right? See, I'm not mentioning her name. She's not smiling, but that I get to use this as part of the the message now. But you went there because you know you weren't well. Right? I mean, something had to be done. This, What's happening? What's going on? We, we just don't say, oh man, I feel so great. I want to go to the ER. Jay Packer, I think, accurately describes our context that we have here. He said, the church is like a hospital in which nobody is completely well and anyone can relapse at any time. We were in our sin at one time. We needed the hospital. The physician is there. We are in His presence. But you know what? Constantly we need to be in the physician's care because we can relapse anytime. And it's good to know we have the great physician there. So, you know, Jesus is really using this as an indictment against the scribes, the Pharisees, the righteous... Because they're claiming that tax collectors and sinners are the sickest sort of people that you could ever see. And yet Jesus knows who is sick, but there are only certain sick people that respond to the physician. Levi knew he needed a physician. Jesus went to people who had the deepest need. Jesus saw us. He knew our deepest need goes to us. And here we are. You know, the words of Jesus are actually rebuke. 
it sounds like he's saying, hey, I didn't come to call the righteous because they're already righteous, but I, I come to sinners, you know. Uh, he's not calling them righteous, but he uses that because they, as far as they're concerned, are what? Righteous. They're righteous. And it reminds you of the story of the man who was like a, a righteous person and he's at the temple and he's praying. He says, oh, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that man, that wicked sinner over there. You know, and, and of course, I tithe and get my mint and, and cumin and everything. I get, you know, he's a righteous man, isn't he? But he's really not. That's a, he needed mercy. But the other man is doing what? He's beating his chest and he's saying, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus comes to call the sinners to repentance. So who went home justified that day? It wasn't the righteous man, but it was the sinner who was called to repentance. Wow, Jesus just flip-flops the tables, doesn't He? Every time we think we've got it figured out and, and we see something different. You know, we see churches that have doctors who don't want to treat sick people. They don't tell them how sick they really are and uh, they need Christ. Matter of fact, the church is supposed to be a place where you come to find help for your hurts. The hurts where only Christ can help you. Only Christ can deliver you. We can't. We, we encourage each other and we give each other scriptures and remind us, but it's really Christ, Christ alone, who is going to make us well, isn't it? So, but it is a place where we can find strength for our weaknesses. Christ is the head of the church, and He uses the body to help strengthen our weakness. Jesus didn't come for the healthy people. He says here. He came for sinners. That's good news. He had only come for the righteous if He had done that. If He had only come for the righteous, you know what? He wouldn't have come for me. And He wouldn't have come for you. He wouldn't have come for Levi. He wouldn't have come for anybody. That's the idea. But there are people who see their need. The negative aspect is that we see a great need. We're desperate. We finally see the captivity and what sin does. It's a negative aspect of the Gospel and what is that called? Bad news. Here again, we get the Gospel offered. I wonder why this is called the Gospel of Luke. <laughs> we need to hear this stuff. We hear it over and over. We need to continue to hear this stuff. Because sometimes we content, we may be getting up on a high horse and getting our own self-righteousness, right? And we need to be reminded that we come to Him empty-handed. And we need to draw from the fountain. We need to draw from Christ. It's Him alone. Constantly on Him. When we believe the bad news, that's when we can come to the great physician who heals us. We are not required to fix ourselves because we can't fix ourselves. We can't fix it up. Never could. But we can recognize our sickness and just submit to the great position. 
He came into the world to save sinners. And if we feel about ourselves in such a way as as that, and agree with that, then we have warrant to applying this and trusting Him, trusting Him alone to our life's end. All the way to everything in our life. We never want to forget one thing. Christ came to call us to repentance. He came to us sinners. And that doesn't sanction us, though, to continue in our sin, does it? It seems like, oh, well, then it's okay because I'm still, I'm still a sinner and he, you know, He's here so I can do what I always did before. And that's not the message that we're given here. He calls us to repentance. And it's an ever-going repentance. What happened to our sins? Well, we saw last week our sins are forgiven forever. If we're forgiven forever, then we now follow Him. And remember, that's what Jesus said to him. Follow me. Follow me. The doctor will see you now. Go to him in prayer. Take the medicine that he prescribes and you'll be healed in the best sort of way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the physician coming into our lives, applying the medicine, showing us our need for repentance as we look at a holy God Stand naked before You and You make us righteous based upon the act of Jesus Christ at the cross. We've seen so many pictures just in this chapter of Luke 5 of how You convert sinners. It starts with You, but we also respond to You. Help us continue to keep responding as a matter of obedience because it honors You And it is good for us. It's not bad. You don't take away, but you keep adding to your graces. And help us recognize that. In your Son's name, Jesus, Amen.